Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It is always a pleasure to come here. It feels like a little while since I was last with you. Um, I love worshipping with you, so um, I hope you also enjoy this morning. Um, I wonder how many of you recognise this picture that is hopefully about to pop up behind me. If There we go. How many of you recognise this picture? Know what it is? Um, if you don't know, it is the hit TV series Friends. Um how many have not watched, ever seen any Friends episodes? I'm intrigued. Three. Okay. That's fine. It will make sense. Don't worry. Um, the Friends Hit TV um, series ran for 10 years, in case you didn't know, from 1994 through to 2004. So from when I was nine years old until I was 19, that is most of my adolescence, um, there were 10 series and the finale on May the 6th, 2004 was watched by 52.5 million viewers. It's one of the most popular TV series that has ever been shown. And at any point, almost any hour of the day, you can still watch a Friends episode on many of the Sky channels, which sometimes I do when I am bored. Um, I wonder whether you've ever thought, why was this series so popular? Why was it, and still is, such a popular TV show to watch? I think it's because everybody needs somebody, as the Blues Brothers once sung. And actually, the Bible explains that it's part of the very way, almost the essence of the way we're created, to need relationships, to be in community, just like the God whose image we were created in, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's how we're made. And it makes sense. If you think about it, if you look around, we see people depressed because of loneliness. We see people desperate to find somebody to share their life with. The explosion of dating websites or Facebook and the social networking phenomena. It seems like people are desperate to be connected. And I think that's because it's the way we're made to be. And while family and romantic relationships are part of that, whether you're single or you're married or with somebody, friendship is one of the most important relationships to everyone. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And handily, the Bible has a lot to say about it. The verses that Natalie kindly read for us um, are the central moment of the chapter we're in today. We didn't read the whole thing. It is rather long and I didn't want to bore you. Instead, I am going to try and fill you in on the gaps in the story. Our main characters are Jonathan and David. And in the chapter we're looking at today, they are in total crisis. David's gone from being the favoured warrior and heart player of King Saul, to being his greatest enemy. Jealousy, bitterness and paranoia are eating Saul alive. And it's led Saul in the last chapter, chapter 19, which I think you looked at last week. Saul tries to kill David three times. He is desperate to end this guy's life. Why? 
Well, Saul's realised that his time as king, he's not got long left. And he is clutching at straws at this point. He wants to get David out the way so that he can remain king. And this chapter, chapter 20, in David's life is a huge turning point. It's the moment where David goes from living happily in Saul's court to running for his life and hiding in caves, from court to cave. And so that's what's going on in our chapter today. But what what's the actual story? Well, look at verse 1 with me if you've got your Bibles or it will appear on the screen if not. David is on the run for his life. Verse 1, Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? David runs to his best mate, Jonathan. Handily, Jonathan is also Saul's son. David wants to find out what on earth is going on. Saul's just tried to kill him three times, and he has no idea why, because he hasn't done anything wrong. Sorry to upset you. (laughs) He is like, what? I haven't done anything. Why is this guy trying to take my life? So he runs to Jonathan, and I think he's seriously asking. I don't think it's sarcasm. I think he's actually saying to Jonathan, what have I done? Because if you can tell me, maybe I can put it right so that your dad will stop trying to murder me. But Jonathan is absolutely baffled. He has no idea. In fact, he's convinced that David's mistaken. He's like, I would know. I'm close to my dad. My dad does nothing without telling me. But actually, this time, that's not true. Because Saul's worked out that Jonathan and David are like that. They are really tight friends. And so he's worked out, if he tells Jonathan that he's trying to kill David, His plan will be foiled. So he decides to keep him in the dark and try and kill him anyway. And so David and Jonathan, I guess, are in a bit of a predicament because Saul seems to be trying to kill David, but David publicly needs to stay in Saul's court because he's king. And so he needs to work out what's going on. He needs to find out, Is he really trying to kill me? And if he is, I need to make a plan. So David and Jonathan hatch a plan together, a way to find out what Saul is really up to. And it is a very dangerous plan. Because it could surmount to treason, even for Jonathan as the son of Saul. If he gets found out trying to help out David, his life could be on the line too. What's the plan? Well, in verses 5 to 7, we hear them decide that Jonathan's going to go to a feast, a feast that his dad is hosting, while David stays away. Now, that might seem fine, but actually it's not. Because David is a member of Saul's court, and he should be there. Everyone's going to wonder why, Saul included. And so to not show up is a big, big deal. But Jonathan's going to make an excuse for David. He's going to say he's been called away on a family matter, and then Jonathan's going to watch and see what Saul does. If he's fine with it, David's safe. If he goes crazy, well, David's got to run for his life. So then they need a communication plan, and that's where plan part two comes in, verses 18 to 22. Jonathan is going to come to this field and 
confusing. When you read the story, you're like, this is a strange plan. He's going to shoot some arrows, and he's going to shout something to his helper. And if she shouts one thing, it's like code A. And if he shouts the other thing, it's code B. If he shouts, it's over to the side, it means you're safe. If he shouts, it's over further, it means you're as good as dead. And so that is the plan. Scene two, so that's scene one. Scene two, the execution, verses 24 to 34. So David hides in the field. Jonathan goes to the feast. And the first day, Saul just thinks, oh, maybe he's, I don't know, there's probably a good reason for him not being here. But the second day, when David doesn't show up, Saul goes crazy. And when I say crazy, he goes crazy. He even tries to kill his own son, Jonathan, and he calls him a son of a prostitute. He is mad, like really mad. And in one way, the plan works because Saul shows his true colors. Jonathan is in no doubt. His dad is on a rampage and David is not safe and neither is he. And you can imagine the shock, can't you? I mean, if this was you, I mean, I can't imagine. I tell my dad something, he goes mad, tries to kill me with a spear because he wants to murder my best friend. It is a bad day in the court of Saul. His best friend is as good as dead, or at least he's got to live the rest of his life on the run while Saul is still around. So lastly is scene three, and it's an emotional scene, verses 35 to 41. Jonathan's got to tell David the bad news. That has got to be a harsh moment. You're telling your best friend, I'm sorry, my dad's the king and he's trying to kill you. You've got to run for your life. So he shoots the arrows, he says code two, you're in grave danger. And then there's this emotional goodbye at the end of the chapter. The happy days are over. While my dad's in power, you can never return. And so that's the story, three scenes. I hope you stayed with me and you've got an idea of what's going on. But when we read these stories, we've got to ask an important question. Why on earth is it in there? It's interesting and it's good. We get to find out kind of what's going in the court, what's happening to David. But there's always a reason that authors of the Bible put it in there. God wants us to read it and learn something. So what's going on in this story that we can learn from today? Well, it's found in the verses that we read together at the very beginning. Let me read some of them to you again from halfway through verse 13. This is Jonathan speaking. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as himself. Where in the previous chapters all the focus has been on David, in this story, the author is pointing at Jonathan. His speech, these words that we read at the beginning and we've just looked at now, I guess act as like the central piece of the story. The author's trying to point to this bit and say, this is the bit you need to pay attention to. In just five verses, 
Jonathan uses the name of the Lord six times. That's the author's way of saying what he's doing is good. It's important. Look and pay attention. Listen and learn. So what's Jonathan doing? What's he doing that we need to learn from? Well, I would suggest he's showing incredible friendship. Friendship that costs. Friendship that's difficult and painful, but true friendship and the kind of friendship that we are created for. And so that's what I want us to spend our time looking at. We're going to look at four aspects of this friendship. We're going to look at the friendship being God-centered. We're going to look at the friendship being costly, honest, and lastly, committed. Now, the most important thing, and I think if you listen to anything I say, this is, well, listen to all of it, but this is an important thing to pay attention to. And I think a thing sometimes we miss. And that is that the way Jonathan relates to David is not primarily about David, but it's about God. Do you remember I said in five verses, he mentions the name of the Lord six times. Everything Jonathan does is guided by his love and his faith in God. Every every action, every thought is God-centered. Look in verse 12. He says, it says, Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this by this time, the day after tomorrow. I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel. Almost every sentence he speaks oozes faith in God. And you know, this is probably the biggest thing when it comes to having healthy friendships. Because so often, and it's true, we talk about as Christians, being a good friend, being about putting the other person before yourself. And that's true, and we're going to talk about that some more. But if your primary focus is putting the other person first, and not about putting God first. Actually, we're in danger of relationships becoming obsessed or enmeshed and not being that helpful for either of us. The only way we can have really healthy friendships is if we know God and we put him first and he's the one that guides how we relate to one another. Not about ourselves, not primarily about the other person, but about God. Colossians 3 verse 7, 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And what follows in these verses is is Paul looking at all the different kind of relationships that are affected by that. And personally, I have hugely benefited from friends that put God before me, that don't just respond to what I want, or I think I need. They don't just see me when I want them to. They don't say what makes me feel good. But actually, they respond to me in a way that puts God first, which sometimes means them saying things that are really hard for me to hear. It sometimes means them not spending time with me and I'd really like them to, so that I go to God rather than them. I've needed friends who point me to Jesus rather than let me rely on them. And that is what we need. That's the kind of friendship we need in our lives and the kind of friendship we're called to. And so I want to ask you, are your friendships God-centered, about him first rather than about yourself or even about the other person? Is what God desires the thing that guides your friendship? 
Or is it what they desire or what you desire? If we're going to have healthy, flourishing friendships, they need to be God-centered like David's were. Secondly is costly friendship. Putting God first is certainly the only way that Jonathan was ever able to do what he did. He was putting his life in danger. He was actually going against his father, the king. If he wasn't putting God first, there's no way he could make the cost that he was making. Think about it for a second. Jonathan is actually the crown prince. His dad's the king. That means he should be in line for the throne. Yet somehow in these verses, he's able to say, do you know what, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about me. What matters is that God's king rules. Not my dad, not me. Look at 1 Samuel verse 20, verse 16. It says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. He was like, I, I want all your enemies, even my dad, to be brought to account. It's such cost in what he's doing. He's able to totally lay down his rights to be king in place of his friend. And that primarily flows out of Jonathan's desire to see God's will done, not his own. And this whole story is one of sacrifice. Such cost. He risks being killed by his own father for treason. And costly friendship actually is what we're called to. That is a sign of true friendship. Jesus says in John verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 12 to 13, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is the kind of friendship that we're called to. And it is so easy to be friendship, for friendship to be about us, isn't it? For friendship to be about what makes us feel good or what we enjoy, how much time... We want them to spend with us, us feeling known and loved, all good things. But actually, that's not what biblical friendship is about. It's about it's about cost and it's about sacrifice. And I have experienced that friendship and it is powerful. It is different and it's life transforming. I have friends who've taken days of holiday to help me move. I've had people give their hard-earned money to help me get through FP. I've had Friends spend time with me when I'm crying and miserable and very bad company and they could be doing something else because they're willing to sacrifice for me. And that is the kind of friendship that we're called to in this chapter. Our lives as followers of Jesus are to be cross-shaped, are to be sacrificial. And I want to ask you, are your friendships about what you can gain or about what you can give? Are they costly friendships? Are they about what you want and need, or are they about what blesses others? Because that's the kind of friendship we see here, costly friendship. Thirdly, a vital aspect of this plan going well is honesty. If Jonathan does not tell the truth, in the plan. It's all going to go wrong. In fact, David's going to end up dead. He has got to be honest. 1 Samuel verse, chapter 20 verse 13 says, But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. If Jonathan doesn't tell David the truth, 
Dave is going to end up dead, but this is a harsh truth he's got to tell. He's got to go to his friend and say, hey, mate, my dad's trying to kill you, and from now on you're going to run for your life and live in a cave. We can't see each other potentially ever again, and they don't. That's the harsh reality, the honesty that David has to show, to, to how Jonathan has to show to David. And sometimes the hardest things to say to one another are the most loving. And actually, we're called to be a people that speak the truth in love. You might have heard that before. Matt spoke about it a little while ago. It's so challenging because everything in us wants to say what people want to hear, don't we? I want to. I want to, I want to say what you want to hear. I want to say what my friend, and I want to hear what I want to hear. I don't, I don't want someone to tell me the truth because sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult to say, to be honest, it's difficult sometimes to say, flies are undone. It's really difficult to say, you've got, you kind of have BO and you might want to address that. It's even harder to say, like, what is going on there? Why were you speaking to that person like that? I want to talk to you about that because that isn't how God, cause you to live and I want to work that through with you. Sometimes it's hard to say actually the most loving things that we really need to hear. Proverbs verse, chapter 27 verse 5 to 6 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. And chapter 29 verse 5 says, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is that dishonesty, as flattering and as lovely as it might be, is dangerous. It is really dangerous. It traps people. It trips them up. But actually speaking a painful truth is the thing that brings healing. And that is challenging. I think this is potentially the most challenging for us. Because this is the hard, the hard reality of true friendship. And countless times, either I said it to other people or people said to me the tough stuff that has brought life and has been the thing that has saved me potentially from going down a route I wouldn't want to go. From easy stuff like, the top's a bit low, probably don't wear that again. To hard stuff like, why did you react like that? Did you see what you did there? I, I don't want that for you, so I want to talk to you about it. It's tough stuff, but it's the way God's changed me. And it's how God calls us to be as friends to one another. So I want to ask you, are you honest in your friendships? Are you, how honest are you? Are you honest even when it risks them being angry at you? But you know that that's what having God-centered, a God-centered friendship is all about. Finally, Jonathan shows total commitment to David. Verse, uh, verse 16 that we read says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. Verse 42 says, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. This is committed friendship to the extreme. A covenant is like a contract, an agreement or a promise made between two or more people. That is the kind of friendship we see here and God is pointing to 
to show us that is the kind of friendship that he wants for us. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Who knows, going back to friends for a moment, who knows the friends theme tune? I'm going to try and sing it, okay? You have, you have to give me back the next line. I'll be there for you. Very good. I'll be there for you. I'd like it, son. Come on, Morocco. I'll be there for you. Very good. Ground applause, Morocco. If I had chocolates, I'd give them to you. Now, while I'm not recommending friends as an example of true friendship, although I've talked about it a lot in this talk, the words express faithful and committed friendship. I will be there for you when it when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. That's slightly more dodgy line. But this is the kind of friendship that God calls us to. Committed friendship where we stand by one another through good and bad. It is really easy to be friends with fun people, isn't it? It's easy to be friends with them when they're smiling and they're happy and their life is going well. It is really hard to be friends with people that are in a mess, that are going through difficulty, that are depressed, and that are depressed for a long time. It is hard to be friends when people are in that kind of situation. But that is the kind of friendship that God calls us to. Friends that are friends through thick and thin, through good times and bad times. This year, me and my school friends are all about to turn 30, and we have been friends since we were 11. 19 years of friendship. And, you know, there's been good bits and bad bits, but they have been committed to me, and I've been committed to them for nearly 19 years. And I've got friends from uni who have encouraged me to follow Jesus for the last 10 years. And I hope those friendships will last 20, 30, 40, 50 years because they're committed friendships through good times and bad times. And I want to challenge you, I guess. Are you a fair-weathered friend? Are you one of those friends that, yeah, you, you call up when things are good, but when you know things aren't going so well, you think, it's all a bit messy for me. It's a bit difficult. It's too much like hard work. Or are you a friend who's a friend in good times and bad times? Because that's what we see here faithful, committed friendship. I wonder what you think when you hear all of that. I wonder if you hopefully feel a little bit inspired. Like that's, that sounds like a good kind of friendship. God-centered, honest, costly, and committed. I don't know about you, but I want friends like that. That'd be really good. Being a friend like that, oh, that's a little bit harder. Many of us want this kind of friendship. We definitely want it for ourselves. And maybe there's part of us that wants to be this kind of friend. The thing is, there's a little bit of a problem. The problem is me. And the problem, I hate to break it to you, but it's you. Because the thing that gets in the way of this kind of friendship is us. People. 
actually the thing that gets in in the way of that kind of friendship is in our hearts. We just can't seem to do it. Many of us find ourselves in loads of shallow friendships, friendships that are surface, aren't honest. There's no one that will tell us the truth. It's easier that way. We protect ourselves that way. Or some of us find ourselves in really messy friendships, make-up, break-up kind of friendships, or friendships that actually are a bit obsessive and a bit enmeshed, particularly women. I can think of friendships where I look back and I think, that just wasn't healthy. And the reason is because there's some stuff going on in here, which means my friendships aren't God-centered. And they're not costly. They're about what I want. And they're not honest, because that's really hard. And they're certainly not committed, because, well, when things get tough, I kind of want to run away. And I wonder whether you connect with that. You connect with that challenge, that difficulty of being this kind of friend. The problem is, is our sin. It's in us. It's that mess and that selfishness. From the very beginning of humanity, that seems to be the problem. That sin ravages our relationships. It wrecks our relationship with God and in turn absolutely shatters our relationship with each other. It's like we just can't do it. We can't be friends with one another because there's there's too much mess in here and there's too much mess in them. We want to be kings of our own kingdom, but unfortunately you can't have two kings of one kingdom. So there's a clash and we end up finding ourselves alone in shallow relationships or in malfunctioning, messy, enmeshed or broken relationships because there's a problem in us. Do you, I wonder if you connect with that. I know that's, well, that's my experience and it's probably most people I know. And so we, we find ourselves in a bit of a mess when we hear this kind of talk because it sounds good, but I can't do it. But there's not, we're not without a solution. The solution we need is someone who could be that kind of friend where we can't. And the solution would be someone that could sort me out, someone that could deal with my heart, someone that could change me so that I wasn't the simple selfish mess that I am. And there is a solution, which many of you know, and that is the person Jesus. John 15, verses 12 to 15, put it so aptly. We've read some of them. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus shows us true, true friendship. Every one of those things that God's calling us to be Jesus has done first. Total God-centered friendship. He only ever did what he saw the Father do. And it was his Father's will that he does rather than his own to the point of death. The ultimate costly friendship to lay down his whole life and be separated from his Father. Giving up everything for you and I. Totally honest friendship. He does not cover up our mess, does he? He tells us as it is. 
you're a total mess, but I love you. You're, in fact, more of a mess than you even realise you are. But I love you far more than you could ever understand. And the totally and utterly committed friend to the point of death and he'll never ever give up on us until he's completed the work that he's started. And this friendship is intimate and personal. It is, you know, I felt such a challenge talking about this because it can feel really trite to talk about Jesus as our friend. Jesus is my best friend. We should be friends to one another. But it's not, it's not trite. It is intimate and personal. And some of us today need to know that, that Jesus is not just our friend, he's your friend, he's your, he is your best, the best friend you could ever, ever have. He shows you true, true friendship. But not only that, he's dealt with the problem. He's dealt with our sin, he's broken the curse as we sung earlier, and he's set us free to be true friends. He's dealt with the barrier between us and God so we can have God-centered friendship. He enables us to live selfless lives because he's dealt with our selfishness. And we can be honest because we don't need to protect ourselves because he's the one who defends us. And we can be faithful because we have one who has been totally committed to us. The only way we can ever be true friends to one another is it is really difficult because if you look around at one another, if you look around at one another, around one another, we are all very different, really different. And we were talking about it's, it's maybe easy to say we're family, but it's harder actually to say we're friends and to be real friends to each other. And so we really need God to be at work in us because that is. I guess the vision that he's calling us to, to be true, true friends to each other. And so as we respond, I want to encourage us to respond with gratefulness and thankfulness to Jesus as our friend, but also with need. Because I don't know about you, but I really need him to help me. I've got friendships I can think about that I need his help in. I need him to enable me to be a good friend. And so as we respond, why don't you, you might want to think of a friendship that you need God's help in. Why don't you think of aspects that you're really grateful for, um, for Jesus as your friend. Let me pray for us and then we're going to worship. Jesus, thank you that you don't call us to something without enabling us to do it. This isn't impossible. You've done all that is needed for us to be good friends to one another because you are our true friend. Thank you that you showed truly God-centered friendship to us. You didn't do what we wanted, but you did what we needed because you served your Father. Thank you that you gave up everything for us such cost so that we could know you be reconciled to you and be set free to love others thank you that you're honest with us thank you that you don't just flatter us but you speak truth to us so that we might be changed 
Thank you that you're so committed to us, so faithful. And Holy Spirit, we ask, would you empower us to do what seems impossible, be radical in our relationships with one another? Would you heal our hurts, the things that are holding us back? Would you transform us deeply? And I pray, Lord, that people would see the friendships that we have with each other and it would cause them to worship you. It would cause them to come to you. They'd know there's no other way apart from by a miracle that we could have friendships as we do. And I pray many would be impacted by what they see in our community. In the name of Jesus. Amen.